Welcome to the Athletes Podcast, where we interview athletes. Hey, it's Simon. Welcome back. Today we have Lena Taylor, a two-time Olympian beach volleyball player from Bulgaria who is now living in the United States and is the founder of Close the Gap Leadership Academy. Welcome, Lena. It's great to have you here today. Hi, Ayman. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Lena, perhaps you can kick us off and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe share something that most people do not know about you. Of course, of course. Well, one of the first things that you have to know is that my birth name is not really Lena Taylor. This is how I arrived uh, at this name. So I was born in Bulgaria and my Bulgarian name is Tsvetelina. But of course, you can see how it's a very long name, very difficult to pronounce. So when I was 17 and came to the United States as a student, very quickly, that first name got shortened to Lena. And then I happened to marry a really wonderful guy. His last name is Taylor. And this is how I became Lena Taylor. So my real name that I competed under in the Olympics is Tsvetelina Janchulova. And together with my younger sister, we represented Bulgaria in beach volleyball into Olympic Games in Sydney 2000 and in Athens 2004. Wow, that's amazing. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you got interested in beach volleyball. Does it happen to be popular in Bulgaria? Oh, that's a really good question. It was not popular at the time in Bulgaria. In fact, I had never even heard of it. When I was growing up, I started playing indoor volleyball because I was really tall from a very young age. And um, playing sports in Bulgaria at the time, it was still communism. And so playing sports was one of the ways that you could be allowed to even leave the country and travel abroad. So I really was motivated to become a good athlete so that I have that opportunity. My father had been a rower on the national team and he had missed making the Olympics in what he calls a matchbox finish. You know, it was a photo finish that his boat arrived at the finish line, just a tiny, tiny, a hundred of a second behind the other boat and he didn't make it to the Olympics. And as a result, I saw, you know, my parents kind of growing up, struggling a little bit about uh, professional advancement, you know, during communism, it was really important to be a part of the Communist Party. It was all about who you knew. There were all these invisible rules and strings that would kind of predetermine what your life will turn out to be. And my parents were not a part of the Communist Party. And as a result, I saw them getting passed over for promotions all the time. And that sense of frustration that life is not on your terms um, was what I witnessed as a kid. And I had that gave me the motivation to look for ways to create a life for myself and for my family and for my community that would be determined by how hard you work at it and not by who you know or some invisible rules. So from the age of 14, once communism fell down, I had this dream, which seemed completely unreasonable at the time, to come to the United States. You see, my parents were making the equivalent of $100 a month 
at the time. And so I knew they would have no way of sending me to an American university. But I wanted to find a way to do that myself. When I told my friends in Bulgaria about it, they thought it was just this ridiculous, crazy dream and would kind of laugh at it. But I still thought that I could make it happen. <laughs> so I had a little pen pal from Cyprus that I was practicing my English with, and we would send letters back and forth to each other. And I had told her in one of my letters that I wanted to find a way to come to the United States. And she said, well, did you know that in the United States, if you're a really good athlete in a sport, you can get a scholarship from the university and it will pay for your school. I thought, this was it. This is how I'm going to do it. But how do you get introduced to a coach or to a university that would give you a scholarship? It was the time before the internet. And, and so it was became kind of a frustrating process for me to find a way because the avenues seemed to close and there was not enough information where I would connect to the right people. Until one day I got a letter from my pen pal again and she said, well, look at what I found in the trash. Now, by that time she was working in the Volleyball Federation in Cyprus and on her way out one day, something caught her eye and she pulled out of the trash what turned out to be a recruiting letter from the volleyball coach at the University of Idaho. Now, at the time, I didn't know where the University of Idaho was, but I looked up very quickly, and all I cared about is that it was in the United States and that I had a shot at earning a scholarship. So I wrote him back, I sent the video, I took all the tests that were required, which was really difficult at the time. But at 17, I had my scholarship and I came to the US as the first athlete out of Bulgaria to come on an athletic scholarship, which opened the doors. It opened the gates for many other athletes to kind of achieve the same dream and create the same avenue for success for themselves and also for their families, because it meant that I had an opportunity to get an American education, get a good job after I was done with school and, and help my family um, have a better life. So this is how I ended up in the US, of course, going to school at the University of Idaho, people were asking me, you know, why are you coming to University of Idaho? I said, you know, it's in America. That's all I care about. But after I graduated, I very quickly figured out that I want to move. And the place that I moved to was San Diego. So San Diego, California, living right in Mission Beach, very close to the volleyball courts. And on the weekend, you know, I would go out and just kind of mess around and start playing beach volleyball because it looked like a really fun sport. I had gotten a job at a pharmaceutical company and was really happy about it. Um, but I was sitting one day on my couch on the weekend and the Olympics came on and beach volleyball had become an Olympic sport for the first time. Now watching those athletes in the Olympics compete was magical and it sparked this childhood dream that I had about playing in the Olympics. You know, when you're a young athlete, you just imagine the pinnacle of your performance will be at the Olympics. I had kind of given up on that dream because, you know, I left Bulgaria, then I had gotten into science, had a degree in biology, started working in pharmacology. I knew there was no way for me to go back and join the indoor volleyball team. But now with beach volleyball becoming an Olympic sport, I thought, I just need one other player. And I could possibly make this, again, a ridiculous dream maybe come true. You can imagine 
that there was a huge gap between where I was at the time, sitting on my couch, watching beach volleyball on TV and wanting to play in the Olympics. So this is how I got started. That's a fascinating story. I have so many questions. Um, how did you first decide to have a pen pal? Was that popular as a, as a teenager to do that? It seems pretty unique. It was popular at the time. And it was one of the only ways that I could practice English because not too many people at that time in Bulgaria spoke English. I had started taking lessons when I was six years old. Now, this is how my parents were very, you know, I credit them with a lot of my success, um, instilling a work ethic in me. Also that confidence, you know, that wasn't broken at the time when I decided I want to come to the United States. They were not some of the people telling me, you can't do that. In fact, they were the opposite. They said, keep trying, keep trying and you'll find a way. Um, so it's six years old, starting English lessons. You know, you just kind of pick up some words here and there, but I wanted to practice and um, be, having a pen pal was one way to do it. How about when you were on the couch and you decided, I need a partner so that I can get into the Olympics? How did you end up finding the right person? So it's a, it's a good question again, because with beach volleyball, playing with just one other person, you know, coaches are not allowed on the court. And so you really have to work well with that person. And it's beach volleyball players are notorious for just dumping their partners when it, you know when something goes wrong they just look at how they can fault their partner and find a way you know jump in the next tournament try to play with somebody else i knew i wouldn't have that luxury because there weren't that many players from bulgaria that i could play with in fact there was only one other player and it was my younger sister so when i was a junior at the university of idaho my sister was then, you know, three years younger than me. So she was graduating from high school in Bulgaria. And I thought I could help her find the scholarship to play volleyball at an American university, just like I did. So at the University of Idaho, we had a tournament in California and we were playing the University of San Diego. And I made sure that I had a stellar game, right? So it was just one of those moments of performance where we ended up beating the University of San Diego, who were nationally ranked at the time. Um, and right after the game, I went to their coach who was fuming. She was furious. How did this happen? How did we lose? And she kind of had this meeting with her players. Well, I tapped her on her shoulder and she turned around. She saw that it was me and recognized me from the game. And she kind of snapped and said, what do you want? And <laughs> And I looked at her and, you know, and I was still, you have to know that I was still, even though I had been in the U.S. for three years at the time, I was still trying to master English. But what I, what I ended up saying was, well, I have a little sister and I would like to see if you have a scholarship that you can give her. She said, well, if she's, you know, if she's half as good as you, we'll take her. And I said, well, you're lucky because she's twice as good as me. <laughs> and so the coach looked at me like, how do you have so much confidence in somebody? Well, she ended up, um, my sister ended up earning a scholarship and playing at the University of San Diego. And she was a phenomenal indoor player, two-time 
first team All-American. And so when she was still in college, you know, this is when I started looking around and thinking, who can I play with? And I said, Petya, you know, Petya is her name. I said, Petya, come and try and play beach volleyball with me. And at first, making the transition from indoor volleyball to beach volleyball is absolutely, it's very difficult. It's very humbling, especially if you're used to any kind of success in indoor volleyball. You can, you can imagine just walking on the beach and how difficult that is for us to walk. Now imagine learning how to run and how to jump and how to dive and how to control a ball that's flying all over the place because of the wind and the sun is in your eyes and you're sweating and there's all this sand. And, and so my sister hated it at first. She thought this was the worst idea ever. But I did something really smart, which was I took her, there was um, the world championships were in Los Angeles. And I said, well, let's go watch. So we, we went up there from San Diego, went to LA and we watched some of the best players in the world play. And so she saw the level at which if you got really good in the sport that you can play and you can have a lot of fun. And this is what got her interested. She said, okay, I know it's miserable right now, but let me keep trying and let's see if we can figure it out. So this is only three years prior to the Olympics when we're going through this and deciding if we can even play. And so we didn't even play in our first international event until two years before the Olympics. So here we are, we were still pretty terrible. We ended up playing in a tournament in Marseille, France. What I had been working at the time, my sister's still in school, so I'm trying to save money for us um, to buy our tickets. And so we only have enough money for our airplane tickets and two nights of hotel. And my big idea was at the time that if we play in the qualification tournament, we would go through that and earn a spot to be in the main tournament. In the main tournament, you would get hotel and food and prize money. Well, you can imagine how that went with me working full-time, my sister being in school full-time. We didn't have a coach. We couldn't even practice full-time. So we were pretty bad, um, but with very high aspirations. So we ended up losing in our first match in the qualification tournament. We were out of luck. So for the next four nights that we were there, we had to sleep on the streets. We didn't have a place to stay. We didn't know anybody. And so one night, you know, we ended up sleeping under this balcony. We kept getting chased by people. So we had to switch places constantly. We found a park bench and we thought we were doing really good when the sprinklers came on and got us completely drenched in the middle of the night. So our first international event was very, very discouraging. Um, but we had this thing that we wouldn't quit. And I can tell you a little story going back to when I was 16 of how I found that inner strength that if I wanted something in my life, I would do anything and everything that it takes that I will achieve it. Um, but this is how we got started. That's an incredible story. How did you end up coming back and being in the right mindset to ultimately enter the Olympics? Could you tell us about that? <laughs> well, you know, climbing from the bottom of the rankings uh, with only very few financial resources, we were never uh, sponsored by a financial sponsor. We didn't even have the support at the time of our national federation because a beach volleyball was a completely unknown sport 
at the time in Bulgaria. And so nobody would give us any kind of funding. Everything that we earned was through me working. So I'm still working full time in my pharmaceutical company and then training whenever I could still away, you know, half an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon after work. And, and so the road was not clear. In fact, when we came into the year 2000 with only two months left in the qualification process, we had only made it to number 73 in the world, which was 50 spots away from the top 23 uh, teams that would get to go to the Olympics. So I remember having this moment when I sat down with my sister the night before we left for the next trip that we would go internationally to play in a qualification tournament. We said, we have two months left. There are 50 teams ahead of us. And I asked her, why do you think that going into this, we're so far behind. How, you know, how would we qualify? And why, why do you think that it would be us and not these 50 other teams that are better trained, they're funded, they have coaches, they have, you know, people traveling with them. Uh, and we've never beaten them before. Like, why would it be us? And, and she said, I have no idea. And so at that moment, I knew that we needed a strategy. And the strategy was this. There were two parts to it. The first part was identifying what is our biggest distraction and then committing to removing that. And when I looked at the whole picture, when I looked at the big picture, you know, where we wanted to go was very clear. We had that, you know, set out from the get-go. We want to qualify for the Olympics. Only the top 20, 24 teams in the world get to go. So this was clear. The destination was clear. From there, what was our biggest distraction? And I determined that the other teams, the other 50 teams that were ahead of us in the ranking were not our biggest distraction. Our biggest distraction turned out to be the ranking itself because it was so discouraging. You see, when you look at, you have 50 spots ahead of you to climb and there's nothing you can do about it. If you think about it, there's nothing you can do about the ranking if you're staring at the ranking, right? So at that moment, we decided let's eliminate this distraction, which is the ranking, which is very discouraging. You know, so we said from this moment on until the end of the qualification period, we're not going to look at the ranking. What we are going to do is take all that energy that's now available to us and focus it only on the things that we can control. How do we scout the other teams? How do we prepare for each match? So we really, you know, it ended up being an amazing strategy because it freed us from the pressure of where we were, you know, how we were scoring, what we were doing. And it gave us complete freedom of all of our, our available energy to focus it on the things that we can control. And this is what I teach now in my leadership academy. And it's one of the one of the founding principles, you know, once you know where you're going, the number one is clarity, having that clarity. The number two principle is to have laser sharp focus. And this is how you do it. You're going to eliminate the distraction and focus all of your available energy on what you can do right now in this moment that will move you closer in the direction that you want to go. 
So little by little, it came down to the last qualification tournament. And there were many moments of doubt, but we stuck to our strategy. We never looked at the ranking because we knew that even if we had done well in a tournament, we, we, we just, we wanted to keep going because it would take everything that we had in order to make it. So while the other teams are looking at the ranking, making all these calculations and feeling all this pressure, you know, we're solely focused on the things that we can control. So in effect, we're playing beach volleyball where beach volleyball is played, which is on the court and it's not played in the rankings. So it's been a, it's been a message and a strategy that has served me really well in my life. And, and I try to stick to it, especially when it comes to achieving big goals and how you break them down into small achievable steps. The way you described it is quite fascinating. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you do right now and this organization you founded, because it seems like this principle you just talked about uh, can probably be very valuable for the clients you work with. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I've had, you know, over the, over the years, I've had the privilege of working with some of the biggest corporations in the world, um, Google, Twitter, you name it. Um, but what we do in these sessions is I take everyone through this five-step process that I call CLOSE, right? I use the acronym, and this is why I've called the Leadership Academy CLOSE the Gap Leadership Academy. Everything came from this visual that I had of me sitting on the couch, watching beach volleyball in the Olympics on TV and having this enormous gap between where I was and where I wanted to be. So the question became, how do I close the gap? This is where those five steps and those principles, this is how the acronym got started, is closing the gap. So these five letters, the first one, as I mentioned, is having clarity, right? Knowing where it is that you want to go. And even more importantly, why do you want to do it? So that was really important for me, a question to answer. Why does it matter so much that I qualify for the Olympics and, and play beach volleyball. And it all came down to, when I asked myself, it all came down to, you know, going back, growing up in communist Bulgaria and having those experiences as a child where life did not seem to be on my terms. It wasn't on my parents' terms. You know, life seemed to be in somebody else's hands. And so I wanted to create a life that was on my terms. Um, early on, when I was playing volleyball in Bulgaria, I had gotten to the top level of my club team and I was feeling really good about it. But two days into the new season, we got a new coach and the coach decided that I wasn't part of her equation. And so she told our captain to tell me that I'm cut. You see on paper, it didn't look like I have the qualities that she wanted to invest in to win a national championship. That was her goal. And so on paper, I wasn't the tallest player. I wasn't the fastest player. I didn't have the highest vertical, you know, all these measurable things that you could see in the stats on paper. Uh, so she, you know, she gave that message to our captain. The captain came to me after practice one day and said, you're cut, go to, you know, this other practice the next day. Now you can imagine with the aspirations that I had at the time, that that was the end of the world to me, right? It, it, at the 16, all your eggs are in one basket. You want to create that life. And now it's taken away. 
So I went home and I did what any 16 year old would do, which was go to my room, shut the door, don't even tell my parents and cry my eyes out. I thought, you know, the world had ended for me. But when I woke up in the morning, I very distinctly remember this moment when I was sitting on the edge of my bed thinking, if I'm awake, there has to be a different way. And in that moment, I realized that volleyball was not just a sport to me. You see, volleyball was my life. And getting that knowledge, understanding why this is so important to me, this was going to be my tool that will enable me to create this better life. This is what gave me the courage to decide in that moment at 16 to go back to my practice and show up in the lineup and face the coach and face the very possible humiliation that would happen now in front of everybody where she would kick me out again. But I knew that I would rather get humiliated than to give up on my dream. So I went back to practice, took my spot in the lineup. Of course, all my teammates looked up and down and, and said, yeah, why are you humiliating yourself like that? Uh, but the coach came by one by one and looked in my eyes in those moments, you know, when time stops. And I think what she saw in that moment was that I wasn't there because I was rebelling against her decision. I was there because I was determined that I won't quit. I won't give up. And so she kept walking and I took that as a, she was giving me a second chance. So from that moment on, whatever effort I was putting in up until that time, I quadrupled it. And by the end of the year, I had become a starter on that team, proving, proving not just to my coach and to my teammates that I belong, but most importantly, I proved to myself this quality that I have, that if I have something that's really important to me and I know why that is so important to me that I'll do anything to make it happen. So do you see how that having that realization and having gone through that experience then later on a few years later with my sister and I lose miserably in the first round of the qualification I knew that's not going to deter me if there is something that I really want to get. So this is another principle that I teach and it's the third one in the Leadership Academy which stands with the letter O, stands for overcoming obstacles and turning them into opportunities, from obstacles to opportunities. And how do you do that is you do what I just described. Now, this is very much a time to step back and look at the big picture and ask yourself that bigger question. Now, why is this is so important to me? So when an obstacle comes your way, you know how to handle it and you can get perspective. Now, from there, you have three choices. In, in the next step, the fourth step, the letter S stands for shift, shifting for growth. So there are three things that you can do. Number one is that what I call diversify or you can persevere, right? You can do what I did and increase the value that you offer to your organization. In that case, it was in my team. But let's say, you know, you're working in the corporate world. How do you provide more value and become invaluable to your organization? So this is how you persevere through obstacles there. The second choice that you have is to pivot or change direction based on what is most important to you. You know, you look at an obstacle that comes your way, you ask yourself that question, how, what kind of a role does that play in my life and how, how, how important is it and why is it important? 
And based on those answers, you can decide to change direction. And of course, the third thing to do is to realize that it's time to let go of something, right? This is how you take a look at a situation and you realize this is not for me anymore and now it's time to let go and do something else. So those are the three steps that happen in into shifting, how we shift for growth. And of course, the fifth step in that process, the process of closing the gap, close the gap, the E stands for encoding this transformation mindset into everything that you do so that you can repeatedly go through that process and achieve big goals. So this is, you know, this whole process is designed to help you achieve some of the biggest goals that you have in your life. And so some of those tools for encoding this process are things like watching your mind, you know, having a mindful state. What are these messages that we're telling ourselves? Cultivating curiosity is another tool in, in that fifth step of how do you encode this? You see, I, I kept asking questions and this is how you can go through and, and ask a lot of good questions. It's like, instead of, you know, why can't this happen? Is how can we make this happen, right? So this just directs your focus in a different way. So these are the five steps that I teach in the academy. And um, it's, been, it's been great because everything, everything I talk about is based on my experience, but it's also backed on you know, decades of social sciences re research that go behind and into each one of those principles. With that in mind, and thank you for going into so much detail about that, could you talk about perhaps one of your goals, your big goals that you have with this leadership training that you do? What kind of impact are you looking to have? <laughs> this is a really good question. So one of my big goals right now is to write a book. And, um, and this is what, you know, I'm, I'm using the same process that I teach in the academy to apply it to first, you know, going through the clarification process. Well, why is that important to me? Why is it important that I have what I teach written in a book? So, you know, taking myself, but, but to answer your question about the reach and, the, and what I'm trying to accomplish through, through this is that the number one reason why I wanted to start this is because I thought it was important for people to have tools to set and achieve big goals. And I thought that what I went through was, you know, it wasn't like I was exceptional in something. And I told you even the coach didn't consider that I have some of the qualities and they say, you never have what, you don't have what it takes, you know, to make it to the highest level. So, but despite all of these messages that I think a lot of us get somewhere in life, right? You can imagine, you know, the roles seem to be defined, especially, you know, if you come from a certain background. I came from communist Bulgaria. I mean, it couldn't have been a worse place to be born if you want to achieve something on the world, on the world scene. So despite the circumstances, I believe that within each one of us is a desire to create a better life for ourselves, for our family, for our community. And so I thought that going through what I went through, knowing that I wasn't exceptional, but here are the steps that I took to make something exceptional happen. And I thought anybody can take these steps and apply it to any situation in their life. And so this is why I thought it was really important to formalize the training and to make it accessible to people. 
Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure hearing about your story. I think it's very fascinating and um, a really great way to think about how important it is to keep striving and to think creatively. I mean, must have taken so much bravery to go up to the coach that whose team you just finished beating and be so confident to recommend your sister. I mean, you opened up doors for, for those you cared about and, and for yourself as well. Um, that's such a powerful message right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, until we speak again, it would be uh, great if you could um, perhaps share an answer to this. If you could go back to any point in time in history and spend an afternoon with someone, who would it be and, and what would you do with them? That's um, that's a really good question. You know, the first thing that came, the first name that jumped into my mind was Oprah Winfrey. I would just love to spend an afternoon with Oprah and and just talk about the things that, you know, I think somebody like that, a global thinker, um, would be fascinating to spend an afternoon and talk to her about different things. Definitely. Again, a pleasure speaking. And until we speak again, uh, perhaps you can share a parting thought. Of course, Ayman. And I think this is probably, you know, it comes down to why is it that you are doing all these podcasts and all of this work that we want to put into the world. But I hope that it reaches someone somewhere. And in those moments of doubt, you know, that we each one of us have to remember, just take the next indicated step. You know, in that moment when you're faced with a big obstacle, with a big doubt that you may have for whatever reason in your life, take the next small indicated step and continue to believe in yourself and go forward. Phenomenal. Looking forward to talking soon, Lena. Cheers. Thank you, Eamon. Take care. Thanks for hearing the Athletes Podcast and stay tuned for more episodes.